Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking to take your media strategy to the next level and make impact with millions of customers? Walmart Connect harnesses the massive reach of America's number one retailer. They can help you connect more meaningfully with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers to find the right audience for your message. They use Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to help you precisely target even niche audiences at scale. Visit walmartconnect.com today to see how they can help you find the customers you want at the scale you need. Hey, I'm sure by now you're aware of programmatic ad tech, but what is it exactly? Programmatic advertising, in some ways, is really anytime you're using software and data to make your media buying decisions. We see it in display ads, in CTV, programmatic digital out of home, and of course, audio. And new ad technologies are coming out every day. Actually, what you're hearing right now is a type of programmatic ad, or at least a hybrid. It's not programmatic in the sense that a piece of software is buying this ad right now in a real-time bidding auction, but it is programmatic in the sense that it was bought through a buying platform that matched the advertiser to this podcast. And who is the advertiser? Grapeseed Media. When it comes to the world of programmatic, they're one of the companies that knows the most about the latest advances in all programmatic. Their whole mission is programmatic that lets you play with the giants. They open the door and walk you through the entire programmatic landscape. They're the closest thing possible to an in-house programmatic team without the expense and trouble of an actual in-house team. They're completely tech agnostic, which means they sit on all ad technologies, including emerging ones, like the platform they use to serve this host red ad. If you're curious to take your programmatic further, reach out to them at grapeseedmedia.com. And thank you, Grapeseed Media, for being a sponsor of this podcast. What's up, everybody? Hope you all had an amazing weekend and great start to your week. I'm so excited about today because we have two amazing humans, Randy Barbado and Fenton Bailey, who are... RuPaul Drag Race EPs and co-founders of World of Wonder, which is behind the amazing franchise and its various iterations and also just amazing trailblazing content in the space. So if you like TV, if you like dancing, if you like makeup, anything else, this is the episode for you. So let's get into today's episode with Fenton and Randy. Fenton and Randy, welcome to the show. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Great. Good, good. So before we get into all the amazing things you guys are up to, I want to know what song have you all had on repeat lately? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit dated, but I'm, you know, I'm still in my Padam Padam era. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. And what's your other question? Oh, yes. And uh, are you excited for the album, Randy? Are you ready? I, I am pretty excited for the album. And, and you know, a lot of people... Okay, that song, um, I really liked it the first time I heard it. So many of my friends were, were not as generous about it, but I think... I think it's a great track, and um, what is it with her and the titles? Like, uh, <laughs> yes, and thank you, next, uh, no, but you know, like, 
Oh, we love. Ar- I feel like Ariana's one of those that like she'll name stuff based off of stuff she says, and it's like I feel like her song started off as an inside joke, and then we all get in on the joke at the end. Exactly. You know. Yeah. I, I think that's a great track. I have two 10-year-old boys, and so there's a lot of, with very different musical tastes, What's the other? some of the other tracks that are heavy on rotation at my house are Doja Cat's original um, Moo, her cow song, oh before she became famous. <laughs> yeah. Blank, I'm a cow. Blank, I'm a cow is, is the, uh, the course. And a recent heavy rotation with the kids is Metro Boomin and the tr- a lot of the tracks from the Spider-Man movie. Ooh, so, that movie, that soundtrack is so good. First of all, yeah, so yeah, I it's really that. good. No, I feel like for me, I'm in my like mountain air, so a lot of Noah Khan, Jack Johnson, um, but traditionally I'm kind of reverting back to my like 2000s pop ish era also. So how long? So, uh-huh. bo- so both like we're talking Britney, Hoku, Sugar yes. Babes, um, the Saturdays. I never stopped listening to Britney. Yeah. I'm still in, still enjoying Blackout uh, and Circus. Did you read her memoir? I did. It was so good. Just span through it, it rapidly. So I mean, good. it wasn't a long read. Yeah, it was so good. That one, it, that one, that was the I think the first book I read this year so far. Yeah, so good. And the second book I think you'll you'll be reading is The House of Hidden Meaning by RuPaul, which is coming out on March 3rd. Ooh. Well, what, I can't wait for us to get into that. But before uh, we, Excuse uh, me. Have you read Excuse me. Oh, not, uh, not a shameless excuse plug. Excuse me. Not a oh, shameless my plug. Goodness, <laughs> not but by a the way, plug. it's not screenage, it's screenage. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wait. We will we'll get it we'll we'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> before we get into that, take me back to your uh, both of your childhoods. Like, what was the first show or person that you felt seen or represented? It, my go-to here is is it's never changed. It was Batman and Robin, the, the TV series in the 60s. I don't know if I could necessarily say I felt represented because at age six, you're not thinking about representation, <laughs> but it just it just clicked. That and like Thunderbirds was also like a, a, a thing. I mean, because both those shows were incredibly in retrospect, camp and, you know, queer, basically. Mm-hmm. Queer before queer was queer, but queer before I had any idea what queer was, but it was just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For, for, for me, it was Sonny and Cher, Carl Burnett, even the Brady Bunch. It was less about having uh, someone gay on TV and more about a sensibility, camp, a voice that I recognized. I mean, it's funny, even when you talk about queers on TV today, to me, it's as, you know, it's important for representation to be on TV, but it's also just having that, that common sensibility, a way of looking at the world, um, you know, feeling like an outsider and feeling like, oh my God, we speak the same language. Um, You know, to me, that's as important as having someone who talks like me and wants to sleep with the same person <laughs> as I do, you know? <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. I, w- I, w- I was obsessed with Sonny and Cher, Brady Bunch. Um, 
I feel like Will and Grace, I think, was my first one because it. I feel like that's when we saw various like iterations of what a gay man like yes. uh, past like their twenties. Like Will was just a lawyer, kind of like different, and then like Jack was like the loud, boisterous, like over the top personality. But I feel like that was the first time we were like, oh, we do come in all different shapes and sizes. There's not like a one size fits all type persona we all have to be. Yeah, Will and Grace was such a groundbreaking show on so many levels. And the fact that on the one hand, it was so steeped in in gay culture. But on the other hand, it had so much heart and it was about something so much more universal. It's 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 a real groundbreaker. I so good. I could what about go. The Golden Girls. Uh, Golden Girls. Golden Girls yeah, is a great one. Yeah, that's one. another good one. Yeah. So, gay, gay, gay. <laughs> like that was one that I didn't get into till like way down the road. That one took me a minute. Brady Bunch day one. I was like, I'm in it. I think Peter was my favorite. I feel like it was it Peter. Peter. Marsha was my favorite. Uh, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> I I quote that show I think once a day. I'm always like, sure, Jan. <laughs> you know, it was for us it was it was also a great full circle moment because because for Paramount we got to do an episode of the Brady Bunch cast with all drag queens. And it was it was so exciting. We had Bianca Del Rio as as Carol, as as mom. Oh my gosh. That's I love that's another person. One of my favorite interviews still to this day is Bianca Del Rio when she did um, Joan Rivers's like in bed with Joan interview. That's still one of my favorite interviews of all time. I will go back and watch that when, like all the like whenever I want to like get like inspiration for like good interview techniques. I love, I love their energy. <laughs> together. I love their energy together. But speaking of TV, what was your guys's? Um, first jobs in the TV industry? Like what inspired you to really kind of want to work in this business in industry? I mean, our first job in the TV industry really was kind of self-employed making um, a public access show um, called Flaunt It TV. We only made uh, four episodes, um, but uh, they were pretty bad. <laughs> but we, uh, but um yeah, we were in New York and we we love public access TV and like, uh, you know, Voyavision and Robin Bird and You Are the Light. Who was the host of You Are the Light? I can't remember his name. Uh, Ed, um, Ed Bergman. Ed, uh, Ed Bergman, right. Who yeah. looked like a sort of cross between Ronan Farrow and Leonardo DiCaprio. And so yes. he would, and he would just sort of talk. And then there was a... Rick X, you remember? And so all these shows that were just like Mrs. Mouth um, that really inspired us. And so we thought, oh, well, let's make a, let's make a public access show ourselves. And um, yeah, that was our first job. I think, and I think the interesting thing about it is like, we've never really, we've never had a traditional TV job. Like, we always were self-employed. So yeah, our first gig was making our own cable, our public access show that no one watched that we filmed <laughs> in the limelight flaunted TV, but that had some really iconic guests, including Quentin Crisp and Zig Zig Sputnik. You're too young. <laughs> um, and then, and then, but, and then our first sort of real TV show was some, was selling the idea of public access. The, that idea 
to, to Channel 4 in the UK. And we licensed all these public access clips and repackaged them and got a bunch of our friends to host and do stories in and around New York. And one of them was a young drag queen named RuPaul. And that was last century. And that was the beginning of our, us working in TV. And we've always worked for ourselves, basically. I mean, someone's always got to pay the rent. So, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> but, I yeah. love that. <laughs> Ready to unlock the full potential of your media spend? Whether you're looking to launch a new product, build your brand, or help increase sales this quarter, Walmart Connect helps brands make an impact with precise targeting, powerful analytics, and the reach of America's number one retailer. Walmart Connect offers solutions for advertisers of all sizes on and off Walmart's digital properties and in their stores. From cost-effective sponsored search and self-serve display ads on Walmart's site and apps, to connected TV and off-site media across web and social, to in-store activations and live events, Walmart Connect can help you deliver the right content to the right Walmart customer at the right step of their shopping journey. And Walmart Connect's closed-loop measurement means they can track the full impact of your campaign on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today to find out how you can start connecting with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers. Walmart Connect. More than media. Meaningful connections. And speaking of RuPaul, for all those who aren't familiar, give us kind of like background on what we're here to talk about today. RuPaul's Drag Race, like, how, like, how did that show come about? Like, it's we're it's fifteen years now. How like how revolutionary was it back then when that whole idea and concept was coming about? Um, well, first of all, before RuPaul's Drag Race, there was RuPaul, and he had had a pretty um, successful career. You know, he had a, a pop hit and he had uh, 100 episodes of the RuPaul talk show for VH1, which we produced alongside of a bunch of um, other producers. And um, and then Ru, you know, took a break and uh, we had been talking about doing some type of a competitive talk show. But Tom Campbell, who's who is our creative chief officer here really kind of pressed the idea of like, let's do this thing. And I think initially Rue was a little resistant to a competitive talk show, but in the end he was really into it. Virtually everyone said no to this, by the way, like we had been shopping things around, but it was uh, Brian Graydon who was at logo television at the time um, who greenlit it. And you know, it was a small show with a nimble budget, and um, we just kept pushing that rock up the hill. And um, here we are. It feels like more than 15 years. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it, I think it might be more than 15 years. But anyway, here we are. <laughs> no, and the, when, it's, 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 cra- it's crazy to think about it, and I feel like, People now, everybody, like you said, like everybody, like now is like loving it and whatnot. But were there really any like challenges and stuff, like trying to get it, trying to get the airtime and trying to get the marketing and stuff around it, or was it 
like kind of like how did you guys like continue to kind of prevail? You know, there weren't really in the sense that there wasn't really a marketing budget for the first few seasons. <laughs> and so um, there wasn't, you know, it was, there wasn't a challenge because there was nothing to be done. And uh, Logo was a tiny, tiny channel. Um, but word of mouth from the show really quickly took off. And, and I think uh, the other thing that might seem like a challenge, like was actually a blessing in this, in the sense that I think these days so many shows launch and the expectation of the network is it's got to hit immediately. And if it doesn't, it's canceled. And our good fortune was that we weren't canceled because it was such a tiny network, such a tiny budget. It was like, it's almost like they forgot to cancel us, you know? <laughs> and, um, and then when Chris McCarthy came to uh, VH1, um, that's when, after, what, six, seven seasons, Randy, that's when they really, Chris very much was like, no, this is a show we should really push. And that's when the, uh, they did the first uh, Emmy campaign uh, led by Michael Fabiani's team uh, over there. And really everything just, took off and that was great because we'd had this time for the for the show to find its own rhythm and get comfortable in its own skin, which I think it always was, you know, thanks to Rue and and everybody working on it. But it just it just was much more confident by that point. And it was just it was ready for VH1 and then of course ready for MTV. And um all that good stuff. It's interesting because what just to, to add to what Fenton's saying, I don't think had we tried to launch that show today, um, I don't think there are any networks or streamers out there that would have given us the runway to grow it into the hit. I mean, you know, you look out there and it's it it, it it's rare there for people to let shows grow. And, and so we were really fortunate that it happened when it happened. And then of course, you know, yeah, having Chris McCarthy step in and help fuel that growth and understand the potential was amazing. You know, before he came, there was a period of time where Fenton and I were like, um, you know, we, we need to go to New York. We flew to New York to speak to an unnamed executive um, to, to kind of gauge, like to say, hey, do you realize what you have here? And I think what he said to us was, well, Drag Race is just is, is a guilty pleasure and we're happy to keep it on air until we get the sort of hit that we need. Like his perception of our show at that time, pre Chris McCarthy, um, was that he was doing us a big favor. A am I? I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, yeah, that definitely was a sense of like, well, this will do for now, but we're really looking for our next big rock the vote. <laughs> okay, legitimate. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and I feel so. like that's something a lot of shows did um, like five, ten years ago. Everybody wanted that kind of like instant hit and uh, didn't really like kind of give shows that space to really grow and really grow that audience. Like it's not how it is today where you have like a thousand like TikTok campaigns and everybody's social media started to kind of get that instant whatever. I feel like 
shows back then really you kind of had to just give the space to grow and really foster and create that community and audience that might be a little bit quicker to get mm-hmm. today in comparison. And something else that we sort of did from quite early on because because we own the, the rights to the show is that we, we you know, Randy and I spent a lot of time in the UK and we knew there was a fantastic drag scene in the UK and we kind of knew there's a fantastic drag scene in every country, you know, in every big city. And um, so we spent a lot of time, you know, pitching networks over there, like uh, Drag Race UK. And even though Drag Race UK wasn't the first international version, um, I think growing it and, 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 and being on other networks in other countries has really given the show a sort of a momentum. Um, and it's, it's, it's a different kind of a format than other international reality show successes in that each regional iteration has its own voice, its own rhythm, you know, it's, it's drag and drag queens are their, you know, own unique forces. So, so there is something about the, you know, the international iterations that if you're a fan of Drag Race, you're interested and curious about the other versions. Mm -hmm. It's really an anomaly in terms of, of, reality shows in that respect because many and and not to diss other reality shows but but most reality shows that are global sensations you know they're they're super successful in that region but rarely do they cross over like does the american audience need to mm-hmm. see you know the australian or the canadian version of that's not the case for drag race you know there's a there's a core audience. I mean, there's a broader audience that doesn't need to see all the different iterations, but there's a core audience that understands the power and artistry of drag and they are fans of the art form. And so they, they're, they're motivated to, to watch and to meet and discover drag queens and, and drag artistry around the world. Um, and so that's our, you know, our mission is to keep doing that. And that's why also why, you know, big part of, of why we started WOW Presents Plus, because it be, it's, it's now, um, it's not only drag, but it's the one place in the world where all the iterations of Drag Race can live. And then all the spinoffs, all, all the, the, additional content that has similar sensibility and is inspired by the art form of drag. And that was one thing I wondered, I was wondering like if like for all the different variations, if you felt like you kind of had to keep um, the main like theme of like the U S version in like the Australian or the Canada version, or if you felt like, no, like let's just let each one be it and it can relate to those regions and audiences there, but it, it doesn't have to feel connected to our main one or whatnot. Correct. Yeah, exactly. There's because there's every there are so many artists in all these different countries, you know. There's there's uh they don't have to connect. I mean that there's there's sometimes a um 
a crossover, you know, um, like Pangina, like, you know, host of Thailand, I think, um, has uh, been on uh, UK versus the world and, you know, has been on like multiple Mm -hmm. versions of Drag Race. Um, So there's that sort of connectivity, but it isn't... um, we let the show, we want the shows to be their own in every country to feel their own thing. Mm-hmm. Like Drag Race France is so like meticulous <laughs> from a couture visual. It's so oat, you know, um, and, uh, you know, Nikki Doll is so great. At, at, I mean, it's just, it, it feels completely different, you know? And um, one of the funny things on Drag Race France, they don't let any English be spoken. Because some of the phrases, you know, don't translate. Uh-huh. But they're like, no, 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 no. En français, s'il vous plaît. And so, <laughs> it's, it's great. It's, you know, the idea is somehow to be true to the, to, to the essence and the core of the format. And there are some format beats that we do like to have, you know, repeated throughout the, the world, but we're always open to whatever the individual producers or our Mm co-producers are pushing for. But the number one thing that everyone has in common is that the production entities all love drag. Like, you know, even here in the U.S., uh, many of the people working on the show have been working on it for, for over 10, some 15 years you know, some from the very beginning. Our our friend and my former assistant is one of the showrunners of Drag Race now. So people have grown up on the show and they are so passionate. And those are the kind of partners that we look for around the world. And, you know, in many places like, um, you know, from Canada's Drag Race to Down Under, the same team. It's like It's like Drag Race US. It's the same team each year. It's like their baby. They're 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 growing their own drag race baby. <laughs> <laughs> and like what is it about that like do you all think that kind of kept that je ne sais quoi per se all these years like of keep people watching? So I feel like that's something no matter what type of show, whether it's a reality or what not, like kind of keeping people's eyeballs and stuff engaged over time is a struggle. So what do you think is like kind of that formula that's like keeping people engaged? I think it's the charisma, uniqueness, nerve and talent of the artists in the show. I, and, you know, and I think that sort of Rue is like the, the sort of Mama Rue is like that sort of inspirational example in that respect. And I think so many of the Queens who come on the show, like are just always bringing twists and surprises and a wig on a wig and like it's like it's um i think that's the magic i think that's the magic of drag you know yeah i love love that and 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 drag and rue sort of um at the helm and then the in in the drag queens and rue inspire all the production teams to to deliver because you want to, it's like the productions need to be like a drag queen. Like we need to constantly reinvent and, and push and prod the creative like a drag queen reinvents herself. And I was so, just on set in Canada and it was, it was a great shoot and it wrapped. And at the end, the, um, a lot of the crew would go up to the queens or the showrunner and say, 
thank you for this opportunity. I am a better person for having done. And it's like very moving that, you know, it's a lot of straight guys who've worked in the industry for a long time and they work on this show. And I think perhaps they have an apprehension. They don't quite know what to expect or what might mm-hmm. happen to them. And then they have this experience of, um, I know it sounds corny or even sentimental, but this sort of warm bond and this fellowship and this just this camaraderie that they get into and they realize that, you know, no one's trying to groom them. No one's coming for their kids. No one's, it's just a, 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 a shared joy and togetherness. Sure, it's hard work, but, but it is, it is amazing how people who you wouldn't expect mm-hmm. really find they have a life a, a life experience <laughs> working on the show, which isn't it's not said to to brag or anything. It's really it's very humbling actually when you know a fifty year old guy who's a sound man who's like you know says this with tears in his eyes and he's you know and he's like. <laughs> It's super emotional on that level for everyone. Like it's a deep contact. And again, I think Rue has so much to do with that because, you know, Rue's always pushing for not just the creative part, but for people to be vulnerable and reveal their heart. It's, it's the heart of the show that I think really is what surprises people. And the real engineer of that is Rue because that's, that's who that's what 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 has always given him his depth and his longevity is like the fact that behind all of this is like this sweet sensitive soul um and that's the journey of drag race no matter where it's it's a house of hidden meanings <laughs> it is <laughs> And speaking of hits and house, I want to talk about the big event um, you all did for the premiere in New York. How did that come about? Because that was honestly on another level. Was it like you all were like, this is a big year. We want to do it big. Like, can we expect more of that in the future? Like, how did that? This is all part. This goes back to to our great partners at Paramount and, and Chris McCarthy's commitment to keep growing this. And. Michael Fabiani and our and Amy Campbell and and these great partners who who um are just want to contribute and grow the brand but also you know create um cre- create experiences for the audience. I mean it's it's like drag con, you know, it's like you know the show is bigger than a show. And for us, you know, with DragCon and WoW Presents Plus, we, we just keep trying to, to extend the experience and you create... You go to Vegas. Um, <laughs> you go to Vegas. Yes, <laughs> Vegas Live. But I was just thinking this year at, uh, at, at DragCon, we, it was the first time we had, we had a live broadcast from the, you know, with Michelle Visage mm-hmm. hosting the pink carpet from DragCon UK are, are the biggest hit we've had on, on Wow PP. But again, it's that idea of like, of, of connecting the audience because the audience, we all have, 
the audience of this, the people who like this. And by the way, it's it's not exclusively gay. It's more ex- exclusively queer. And when I say queer, the idea of being an outsider, mm-hmm. that's who our audience is. And that's universal. And we're always committed. And I think Paramount as well, our partners there, to sort of, you know, identifying that audience and inviting them in to the party and the premiere party, that was a party. Mm -hmm. But Colin, you know, it's like, it's like, um, it's drag, right? So you have to eventize the event. You can't just be like, oh, here's some peanuts and a glass of wine. (laughs) It's like, it's got to be extra. And, you know, like that was, yeah, that's always the, you know, the the drag standard is high and you've always like more, you know, more is more, right? (laughs) Uh, less is less. And so, you know. And, and by the way, I think it's taken 15 years for some major uh, uh, sponsors to understand the value of this brand. And, and, and I'm not exaggerating. It's taken like 15. I mean, it's taken, it's, it's so weird how, how, uh, the, not the resistance is the wrong word, but it's just it has taken some time for people to understand the true value of 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 this audience and the power of this audience. I think, you know, they just um, the instinct is to marginalize. Right. Mm-hmm. And to kind of build off of that for my last question that kind of answers that one, like what advice would you give to networks and things that are about like taking risk on shows and stuff that they might look at and be like, mm, I don't know. Or ones that are like, oh, we want to, but we just don't know how to, whether it be market or we don't know what to do. How do we, we don't know how to like, kind of like market it or do something with it. Like what advice would you give to networks that want to take a risk, but are kind of like scared of like thing, uh, taking a risk on like shows and stuff that they're not too sure where it could go. Right. Well, I mean, the advice would be, to take risks, you know. Um, but I totally understand also why it is hard to take risks. You know, if you're in a at a, a, a network or a streamer and you're, you know, you're, you may lose your job if you take a risk and it fails, you know. So I can see that sort of sometimes the size of companies may militate against taking chances. But I do think if you look at the history of TV hits, almost all of them come out of left field. They don't come out of a market research department. They don't come out of some laboratory where it's been sort of algorithmically cooked up. And so it's funny because we often go out and pitch and it's like we'll hear from, I mean, pretty much all the time that, you know, the key things are it's got to be broad. It's got to be repeatable. It's got to be big. And I don't know if that's a helpful way to think about an idea. How about um, how about just something that's different? Because almost like you're never going to know how to market something that's different because it's different. It hasn't been marketed before. You know, also, I, I think I, back I, to the South Park thing. Sorry. I think back to the South Park thing, you know, that Brian Graydon there was also a key person who recognized it. And that started out as a video Christmas card by Matt 
and Trey, right? They made this little yeah. animated video of South Park characters they sent out on VHS. Like, oh my God, <laughs> out of that came the show. All the Simpsons came out of, um, oh, what's her name? The variety show on Fox. Anyway, point is no one ever, you know, hits come out of nowhere. <laughs> and, I, th and I think small is the new big or small can be the new big. And I also think I call it rare, risk adverse risk, Ooh. which is. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> risk when you put the what's the E at the end? What's the end? I, I don't know, but yeah, can you work on that risk adverse risk? Adverse risk. <laughs> Enterprise. I like yeah. that. Anyway, risk adverse risk. The experiment. Idea there is experience. Spend, uh, risk adverse risk experiment. Let's needlepoint it on less the pillow. Money spend more time and less money like like not every every risk has to bring a company down invest it's it's that idea that small can be the new big invest less money on more things and give those things more time i mean you know whatever your feeling is about the kardashians they wouldn't have been around like in today's day and age, because no one would have let that show run as long as it did be before it got the traction it got. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's risk adverse risk is possible. Um, but, you know, everyone is trying to swing big because right. there's this heat right yeah, now that Squid the Game. whole industry is going to collapse. Squid Game did not, was not supposed to be a hit. It was, did not, get teed yes. up as this mm -hmm. massive global phenom. It's like, so I guess actually the thing, the, the thing here is to kind of get out of your own way, really. Mm -hmm. um, but also we don't want these networks to take this advice because we're quite happy doing well presents plus <laughs> and we'll, we'll be doing. <laughs> we have our own network, our own network. So if you're a way, network executive, do not list, do not take any of this advice. Don't listen to us. <laughs> But come work we're just for making us. guilty pleasures over here. Just, yeah, we're carry, just guilty pleasures. Pleasure. By the way, the show. guilty ple the guilty pleasures we're making um, in twenty in the first month of twenty twenty four, our subscriptions went up eighteen percent. So that's the kind of guilty pleasure we're making here at World of Wonder. We're not looking to 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 overtake Netflix yet. No, um, <laughs> no there's you know. Don't do not underestimate the power of well niche programming is the wrong word we don't want to say specialty, but specialty I think it's program. specialty yeah especially a specialty audience like look the at, one I mean, we Colin, have look at you are, look at me look at Randy do we want to be programmed to in terms of big broad it's sort of somewhat counter to everybody in the world today has experienced increasingly their sense of individuality and 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 celebrating that. So you don't want to look like or feel like you're just a number in someone's algorithm mm -hmm. and that you need to be blasted at in a sort of very generic way. To me, that's the that is the way to not want to watch something, for, for me to not want to watch something, you know? Yeah. I'm looking for here at unusual quirky, but. Here at WowPP, here at WowPP, we do AP. 
artisanal programming. Oh, you're on it today, Randy, with the slogans. I, know, I, need, yeah. to, I need to write this down. The much, right. the pillows, the, the embroidery. Yeah, the, the, the blankets, <laughs> the towelettes. I see it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, thank you both so much for spending oh, the time. We're done. We're done. Oh, we're done. You guys killed it. We're coining, we're coining phrases over here. Come <laughs> on. We can't, sell, we can't sell this part of the conversation. People will take no. our ideas. We want them to work for us. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How great was this episode? If you were like me, you probably took a lot of notes and have a lot of questions and comments. So if you do, feel free to add us at Adweek across Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. And we'd love to hear from you all. And feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That always helps us. And we can't wait to hear from you all and see you in the next episode. So bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Young Influentials, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Aarons, and edited by Lane McGibney at Bountwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. If you expect your media investment to deliver clear, measurable results, Walmart Connect can help you get there with powerful analytics and the reach of America's number one retailer. Their closed-loop measurement uses Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to track the impact of your campaigns on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today and see how they can help make your media spend meaningful. Walmart Connect. More than media, meaningful connections.